Amen. Well, we got some energy in the room this morning. I can feel it. Got hope. We got life. It's almost like Jesus rose from the grave and is alive or something. Well, friends, good morning. My name is Justin. I have the privilege of serving as a pastor here at City Light Bennington. If you've been tracking with us, you know that we love the Bible. We love to preach through the Bible. And currently, we are preaching through the book of Ephesians, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. And we find ourselves this morning in chapter 5. And it's interesting because we've just come off Paul giving this long list of looking at these putting off the old clothes and putting on the new clothes. If we see Ephesians in the six chapters that it is, the first three chapters are really just looking at the person and finished work of Jesus. And verses, or excuse me, chapters four through six, the last half of the book is now looking how we ought to live as Christians in light of that. So we find ourselves in the middle here in chapter five in the continuation of looking at Paul's putting off and putting on. He's going to get really specific here, so let's go ahead and dive right into the text. If you have a Bible, go ahead and turn Ephesians chapter five. We'll look at the first handful of verses here. This is Paul saying, and let's actually go back to chapter four, verse 31, just to get a little context, because this is a continuation of that thought. Chapter 4, verse 31, Paul says, Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. So Paul's continuing the thought. Chapter 5, imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you are his dear children. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ, loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, pleasing aroma to God. Let there be no sexual immorality, impurity, or greed among you. Such sins have no place among God's people. Obscene stories, foolish talk, and coarse jokes, these are not for you. Instead, let there be thankfulness to God. You can be sure that no immoral, impure, or greedy person will inherit the kingdom of Christ and of God. For a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of the world. Don't be fooled by those who try to excuse these things, for the anger of God will fall on all who disobey him. All right, let's just pray out. Encouraging word this morning. Uh, Roy and Glenn, appreciate you giving me this really just comforting, encouraging, positive message. Not, not full of conviction whatsoever. Really just put the ball in the tea type of sermon. So, uh, but no, in all seriousness, this is a very encouraging message. We're going to look at what the heart does because of what the heart desires this morning. And looking at all of these symptoms really is what they are, let's, I just want to start off by way of teaching. Paul gets very specific in the specific sexual sin that is rampaging the church of Ephesus. If we know the context of the city of Ephesus, there would have been a lot of pagan worship involving a lot of sexual sin. So it's no surprise that we see Paul specifically addressing this head on. And so in verses 3 through 5, we see a list of specific ways that the church of Ephesus is in danger of not imitating God. Uh, he lists out three different sexual categories of sins. Uh, he starts by saying sexual immorality. He goes into sexual impurity, and he ends by talking about sexual greed. And I just want to be clear in teaching this because I have a burden because I think in a very overly sexualized culture that we live in, uh, we find ourselves in a city and a world that is very similar to Ephesus. And I think it's worth noting and teaching what are the specific ways that we can sin against God and not imitate him. 
Well, if we look at these three categories, sexual immorality or really just ongoing actions, practices that are unbiblical when it comes to how God has designed the good gift of sex, things such as practicing premarital sex, uh, practicing adultery, which is uh, lust and sleeping with someone who is not your spouse, uh, practicing homosexuality or watching pornography, all those things are specific things that I think it is worth actually getting into saying, let's call sin for what it is. Let's not go after having a whole month dedicated to celebrating things that are anti-biblical, friends. We need to get specific, and we need to understand that this is sin. This does not please God, and God has actually called us to something that is far greater, far more satisfying, far better than we have settled for. And we see that in this culture that Paul is even saying, similar to today, that these sins will try to be justified. There will be people who try to excuse such sins by talking about them in such a way, specifically obscene stories, foolish talk, coarse jokes. Uh, he's looking at the impure thoughts. It goes deeper of sexual impurity as not just the practice and the action, but just as Jesus tells us on the Sermon on the Mount, it goes deeper. It's actually going to the impure motives, the thought life that everyone has. He goes into... Sexual greed, which is essentially, as he spells out, coveting. It's wanting something that you don't have and doing whatever it takes to get it. Again, it's coming for an impure heart. And it ends up saying, Paul says that this is all boiled down to idol worship. This is something that you have exalted above God and therefore you are doing whatever it takes, whether it's sinning against the spouse or sinning against another human being made in the image of God, to rewrite what is good in our own eyes. And we try to excuse them, as Paul says, with obscene stories, which are just sexual innuendos that we throw into conversation to try to get entertainment and laughs and try to be impressive. That's what he means by foolish talk. It's arrogant talk. It's putting ourselves in such a way that we think we're better. And honestly, it ends up getting us into trouble. And it's displeasing the eyes of God. James talks about taming the tongue, how it is the rudder that can crash great ships. It is the flame that can burn down entire forests. And the tongue, again, if we look, is actually going to go back to the heart. That it's more than just cussing. It's more than mean-spirited talk. It's more than arrogance. It is more than pride. It is looking at the heart's desires. Because if we notice in verse 4, he talks about instead of there being these types of things within Christians... And again, we are the light, we have put on new clothes, so instead of these things, these things that are dark, let there be thanksgiving. Verse 4, these are not for you, instead let there be thankfulness to God. And it begs the question, why does Paul say, replace all of this with thankfulness? Paul could have said anything, he could have said, pursue abstinence, pursue purity, but he says, pursue thankfulness. Why? Well, I think, again, Paul's getting to the heart of the issue, the heart. And he's saying, you give thanks to these things, and you ought to be giving thanks to God. You ought to give thanks for the beautiful way that he's created the good gift of sex within marriage between a man and a woman alone. And that is what God, that's what Paul is saying. Remember that these are good gifts that have been twisted, distorted, and out of context that I am calling you back to give thanks. To not just be sticks in the mud where you think that, being a Christian is boring and not fun. It's saying that the most fun, the best part about being a Christian is the abundant life that if we would actually follow in God's good design, it would be so much better than what we've settled for. And this is what Paul's saying. Don't forget to be thankful. These are good gifts. Don't twist them. Don't distort them. And what he's saying here 
is that because of what you're speaking, it's really more than just lip service or the lack thereof. What Paul's getting at is that what Jesus is getting at in Matthew 12, 34. It's the same thing. He says, he's talking to the Pharisees here. He says, you brood of snakes, how could evil men like you speak what is good and right? For whatever is in your heart determines what you say. Jesus goes even further to say it's not just what you say, but it's what's in your heart. He says it a different way in a handful of chapters back in Matthew. Matthew 6.21, for wherever your treasure is there, the desires of your heart will be also. So friends, we need to see that the church of Ephesus was speaking these sexual sins, and we can speak sinful language as well, but again, it's not just because of our mouths, it's not because of our lip service, it's because of our hearts are off. He's saying that every sinful word that comes out of our mouth that we will give an account to, every sinful word spoken by the mouth is because of a heart that doesn't treasure God above all things. That's what he's saying. Your heart doesn't desire God above all things, and therefore your mouth calls you out and proves it. So what's the solution? Well, if we continue reading, we see Paul gives a very explicit exhortation, very specific to address the heart of the matter. Verse 13, Ephesians 5, he says, but their evil intentions, again, showing that it's more than just the words we say, it's the evil intentions of our heart, will be exposed, he says, when the light shines on them, for the light makes everything visible. This is why it says, and he quotes a passage back in Isaiah, awake, O sleeper, rise up from the dead, and Christ will give you light. Friends, what Paul is arguing here is that a heart that begins to partake in the sins that it once did is a heart that has fallen asleep. A heart that has fallen asleep to the love of God. And there's no longer feeling. And we can do a lot of things in our sleep, right? People sleep talk, sleep walk. My bride knows that. It's, sometimes I, yeah, it gets, it gets weird with my talking and sleepwalking. But we know that we can do things in our sleep. And as Christians, we are no different. We can go through the motions. We can meet on Sundays. We can meet in city groups throughout the week. And yet we are asleep to the love and the things of God. And the church of Ephesus is in danger of this specifically with sexual sin. And this is a warning and an exhortation, an invitation even, for both the non-believer and the believer. God is saying, wake up. There's still time, sleeper. Wake up. And maybe we're wondering, how does this look practically? Well, let's just pause and zoom out and look at the church of Ephesus. The church of Ephesus, Ephesus would have been one of the biggest cities at its time. It was an epicenter for power, politics, and worldly culture. And the church of Ephesus was planted by Paul. He was gone for a while. It was taught by uh, Aquila and Priscilla, kind of overseen by them in, in ways and taken care of. Apollo steps in. Uh, we got a solid lineup. Apollo is a great teacher. He waters the flock. Uh, Paul will come back later after his mission trips, and he will stay there for three straight years. It says teaching day and night. Let's just be generous there. Say, let's say he taught for four hours a day. Four hours a day, theologically training the scriptures, showing that Jesus is the center of it all for three years straight. If you want to put that into context, church, 
If we were to listen to one 40-minute sermon at CLB every week, it would take 126 years for us to get caught up with the church of Ephesus. This is how theologically, doctrinally sound this church was. Later, Timothy would step in as pastor. Paul would take his protege and bring him into the pastorate. The apostle John would later pastor this church of Ephesus. There was a legendary lineup of heroes in the faith who pastored this church. It's where we get the book of Ephesians, as Paul is writing to us today. It is where we get the books 1 and 2 Timothy written to the church of Ephesus. It's where we get 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and Revelation, parts of there that we see church of Ephesus is important in the history and how we ought to function today. And it's interesting because it's the Apostle John who would have been one of the later pastors of this church. And it's interesting because 40 years after this passage today, 40 years, John, we know, would have been abandoned at Patmos and gets this divine revelation from God is where we get the book revelation. And 40 years later, after Ephesians 5, this is what the Apostle John hears straight from Jesus himself. Revelation 2, verses 1 through 5. These are the words of Jesus. I'll start in verse 2 here. Jesus says, I know all the things you do. I have seen your hard work and your patient endurance. I know you don't tolerate evil people. You have examined the claims of those who say they are apostles but are not. You have, not, you have discovered they are liars. You have patiently suffered from me without quitting. Sounds pretty good so far. But I have this complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. Look how far you have fallen. Turn back to me and do the works you did at first. If you don't repent, I will come and remove your lampstand from its place among the churches. So friends, we see a very solid, encouraging church that is planted by the Apostle Paul, pastored by a legendary lineup. They start off strong and it's encouraging. They're able to rebuke false teaching and hold fast to sound doctrine, built up in one of the most theologically sound and strong churches, and yet Jesus himself, the head of the church, says, you've forsaken your first love. You've left me. Not only that, but you don't even love each other. You're doing all of this in the cold hearts that are just going through the motions. What started out as encouraging began to turn cold. It's interesting today, if we know our geography, Ephesus is no longer a city. It is actually modern-day Turkey. It's fascinating to me that today, Turkey is 99.8% Muslim. And the 0.2%, let me repeat that, 0.2% Christian is on rapid decline as we speak. Jesus wasn't lying when he said, if you don't repent, if you don't return to me, I will remove the lampshade. You will no longer be a church because you don't even remember what it means to be a church. And it makes me wonder, what would have happened if the Ephesians did turn? What if they did turn back to their first love? What if they did turn back to loving each other like they first did when the church was first planted? And I wonder for that matter, as a church plant, a city like Bennington, what will happen to us? What will happen to any church in the Omaha metro, for that matter, if we all continue to go through the normal rhythms, meet on Sundays, a couple city groups a month, continuing to be built up theologically just like the church of Ephesus, and all the while drifting further 
and further from our first love, growing colder and colder in our affection while we grow stronger and stronger in our theology. Friends, no church, including City Light Bennington, will last if we find ourselves working our hands to the bone while lulling our hearts to sleep. Friends, it is time for our hearts to wake up. And this is a gracious call. This should be an encouraging invitation that Jesus, the head of the church, is inviting us back. He says in verse 11 that the light of Christ will shine in our hearts to expose any darkness. And it's like Jesus is taking his flashlight and he's pointing into the abyss of our hearts to see what's there. And whatever he finds, he's taking that and putting it out in the light and comparing it to his rap sheet and saying, how does it compare? How does it compare? But the question that goes even deeper is, not only how does it compare, but would we even care if it doesn't? And that's the question that every soul in this place must answer. How do your hearts desire to the desires of Jesus' heart? Do they line up, and do you even care if they don't? And, and to get practical here, I, I just wonder, a litmus test here to see how awake our hearts truly are this morning. Let's look at City Light Bennington. We've been looking at the Church of Ephesus. Let's bring this to our context. Litmus test, how awake are our hearts this morning? If Jesus would come this morning, shine the light into your heart, what would he see? What does your heart desire most? Would he see that there are the same types and degrees of sexual sin that was rampaging the Church of Ephesus? Would he see hearts that have begun to come divided against one another because of cultural political factions, or are we united because of our moral biblical convictions? I'll be real with this one. I got to confess this one sometimes. Would he look into our hearts and see that we're more excited for the day we get a building than we are about becoming more like him along the way? Maybe for some of us, he would see that we as, a, as pastors have really become nothing more than motivational Sunday speakers quality control managers, program directors. And you actually don't read the scriptures that address this very same church in Ephesus in First and Second Timothy, that there ought to be order. There ought to be an actual level of authority and responsibility for us as shepherds and overseers to actually speak into your life and care for your souls. Maybe he would see many of us longing, grumbling, groaning for community, wanting, desiring the good gift of being known by the church, and yet Jesus would shine his light into our hearts and see that we've never actually taken any steps to join a group. We've never signed up to serve and get to know people in the church. We've never taken any advantage of the countless opportunities that have been invited to us to actually take a step to start a group, be part of Rooted, be part of something that is more than you consuming and actually you starting. I wonder if Jesus would look into our hearts and he would see that there are people in this room who are only recognizable as Christ followers on Sunday mornings, while Monday through Saturday you would have no idea, no idea that you have an ongoing interactive relationship with your creator. Friends, I don't say these things out of a place where I, I know that I personally struggle with these things. So I, I'm laying my garbage out on the table for us this morning, but I, I wonder if many of us could relate this morning. 
I wonder if we would honestly take a step back and look at the season where I think we've entered into a tired season to some degree, and we've kind of just chalked it up as just that, a, a tired season. And we've actually been completely fooled by the enemy and believing that there's no actual spiritual enemy on the prowl trying to rob faith, planting in thoughts of frustration or bitterness against one another. And we just, again, say the solution is I just need to take a week off, go on a vacation, and just escape and not do any real heart work with the Lord, not come together, not pray, not see a pastor, not go to the care ministry, not do anything that would actually address the heart of the issue. And friends, I think that's what's happening. I think that's what we're in danger of, is at least starting at City Light Bennington. And friends, if we continue this path, friends, our hearts will continue to be falling asleep. And Jesus has such a greater call for us, saying, wake up, come back to your first love. Go back to the ways you first loved one another. When this church plant started and we had such small beginnings, we're entering out of the phase where we can lean on the crutch of church plant. We all understand that. But remember when it was a church plant? A true church plant where we, we met at the barn, all hands on deck, people ready to serve and give their lives away. When it was way harder to set up going upstairs, taking one elevator. <laughs> we remember those days, and, and yet, friends, I think the love that we had for the Lord and the love we had for one another was far stronger than it is, even in our convenience at Anchor Point. I fear that in our sleepy hearts, we've made so many false finish lines, friends. So many false finish lines. Getting a building, finding the flawless city group, which, by the way, does not exist, never will. Attending a, one more powerful worship night that I can just use as any of these combination of things. As the spiritual caffeine hit, just to jolt me enough awake to limp along to the next false finish line. Take the next spiritual nap. Wash, rinse, repeat. Friends, that's not what Jesus has called his church to do. I fear that our American Christian culture of church shopping has made us come to believe the lie that there is actually somewhere in Omaha a perfect local church that is made up of perfectly cut stones rather than seeing that the church is actually a home made up of imperfectly messy Friends, I think we should take great comfort this morning in realizing that being a disciple of Jesus who wants to make more disciples of Jesus, friends, it's the long game. It is the long game, and that should be a comfort to us. We have to pace ourselves to a degree. We need to lean on each other, and then we need to respond together. We see, need to understand that revival in our hearts and in our area won't just come magically overnight. It will not come because of a, a building or better programs or deeper curriculum or being more established like churches that have existed for three times our age. All those things are good, and, and I believe by faith will come in time. But friends, they're just supplemental. We need more than false finish lines. We need more than spiritual caffeine hits. And just like our physical bodies, we all know that they operate best when we get enough sleep every night. We drink enough water in a day, and we eat enough healthy food. We all know that our physical bodies function the best when that happens. And friends, why is our spiritual body as a church any different? 
Well, friends, we need to learn how to actually get enough rest in Jesus every day. We actually need to learn how to go back to the basics of having a quiet time where we actually get fed, where we actually find rest and hold and cling to beautiful, weighty, spiritual, eternal truths that refresh our soul and give us the true rest that Netflix won't. We need to learn how to drink deeply. We know that Jesus says there is a, a well of living water that will leave us never thirsty again. The Holy Spirit is that fountain. And we need to learn to interact with the Spirit as the third person of the Trinity, relating in God in such a way that we are filled over and over and over again afresh so that we can love and serve one another. We don't drink enough water. We don't eat enough healthy foods either. We have the bread of life waiting for us every day. And yet, we refuse. We refuse to remember that our sins have actually been forgiven, that Jesus is actually on his throne, that we, in, in 70 years, for most of us in this room, 70 years, I'll put that widely across, none of the things we worry about will actually even matter. That we will be at the table with King Jesus. He will robe himself for service, and he will be washing our feet, serving us at his table. Friends, we have lost sight of that. We've lost sight that God is our father, that God is our friend. We have been partnered in covenant with him to see his kingdom actually advance on earth as it is in heaven. Friends, there are so many things that we are out of rhythm. We're not getting enough rest. We're not drinking enough water. We're not eating enough healthy food. And friends, it's time to wake up. And we'll take every saint in this room, every single saint in this room. No one is exempt. No one has the privilege of being sidelined. It will take every one of us arm in arm, despite our political differences, despite our theological interpretations and practices, despite, dare I even say, our personalities, to come together, ask the Spirit of God to fill us afresh and to actually commit each, ourselves to one another as one body, one church, one family, arm in arm, limping back, returning to our first love and the love that we once had for one another. Yeah. We need to go back to our first love and remember that there is a love, and his, Jesus, his name is Jesus, who lived a perfect, sinless, righteous life to fulfill standards for us that would otherwise be impossible. A love that was nailed to a cross so that our sins could actually be paid for in full. A love that refused to stay in the grave so that we could be set free. Free to love and free to be loved. Friends, if you've lost sight of this love, if you've wandered away and found yourself lulled to sleep by the love of God and you've in your slumber, you have begun to put your hope in City Light Bennington or anything else besides God, for that matter. Friends, it's time to wake up. It's time to return to our first love. And if you haven't spent quality time with him, maybe in a long time, friends, remember that there is a good father waiting. He sees you from far way off. And he is running to you. 
running to you. And it's time, friends, to actually get serious about getting serious about the things of God. It's actually time to stop saying that we don't have enough time. It's time to make time. So call the babysitter. Cancel the plans. Get away from the screens. Take the trip. Visit the family. Call the friend. Find the new job. End the toxic relationship. Clear out the junk food from the pantry. Cut off right hands. Gouge out right eyes. Friends, it is time to wake up. And friends, this is the goal of all of this is not to be legalistic. It's not to put our trust in spiritual disciplines. It's to put our trust in Jesus. To do whatever it takes to have that uninterrupted, unhurried time with him. To refresh our weary, sleeping hearts. It's time to recultivate the love we once shared with him and do the things we once did with him. And the thought of your sins being forgiven was so wonderful that you couldn't help but cry tears of gratitude and sing simple songs of praise. The times we're talking with the Father could seem like they lasted for hours, filling journals, soaking in his presence, when prayers weren't prayed to impress, but just spoken in a quiet, secret place of our heart where we used to meet with God before we told him that we're too busy for him. The sweet moments where the Spirit would illuminate the Bible so that it was no longer boring or confusing, but it actually made sense and was interesting. And the Spirit would show us passages and the truth and the beauty of those passages in such ways that stirred childlike awe and wonder in us. We were just so eager, so excited, so obedient to say, Spirit, lead me wherever you go, and wherever you go, I will go. What happened to those believers, friends? I admit I'm one of them. What happened to us? Why have our hearts fallen asleep? Friends, as we wake up and return from our spiritual slumbers, remember that, again, that father who's waiting. He's waiting with such patience, ever ready to receive us, ever excited to commune with us again, ever joyful that we've awoken and decide, like any father, to see their son or daughter come home. Just glad we're back. Friends, we need to know this morning that every person in this room, every tired parent, every hurt spouse, every busy worker, every anxious planner, every grieving family member, and every lonely soul has the same access to the living hope that is and always will be Jesus Christ. And if we do, if we return, he will restore. If we surrender, he will sustain. And friends, it's time we went back to the basics. The sweet, sweet, simple, basic fundamentals of our faith by learning how to love and be loved by our first love again. There's one thing we've seen throughout Ephesians, it's this. It's learning how to be loved by God again. And it's learning out of that love to love one another again. Don't overcomplicate it. The greatest gift, we believe in prophecy, we believe in speaking in tongues, we believe in all the spiritual gifts, but we know that the greatest of these is love. And it's time we return. We are just a bunch of noisy gongs and symbols if we do not. We are in the same trajectory of Ephesus if we do not. And friends, I don't 
claim that and I don't receive that. I don't think that's the truth of where City Light Bennington will end up. I, I look out into all of the spirit-filled saints here this morning. I'm, I'm not discouraged. I'm encouraged. And I just want to continue to fan into flame this morning. I just want to continue to point our eyes back to our first love so that in any way you feel like you've begun to wander, return. And as we return, church, as we step into the best spirit-filled versions of ourselves, would we actually watch and be amazed? Would we actually see a church that begins to operate, not fueled by duty, but actually filled with love again? Would we actually find ourselves not coasting on caffeine, but overflowing with power? Not having the stench of performance, but being the pleasing aroma of worship to God again. Following the example of God, the Father's tender-hearted forgiveness, and the sacrificial love of his son, Jesus. And I want to close by way of application this morning. It would be remiss not to, as we've just looked at all the ways we can fall asleep, that you would actually take this time, and even as we sing these next songs of praise, to do business with God. Maybe you're the person who's never actually surrendered your life to Jesus. Maybe you've actually never replaced those idols with someone who is far greater, who could actually satisfy your longing heart. Maybe you're the saint in here this morning that needs to actually ask God, where have I fallen asleep on you? And where, where do I need to wake up again? Where do I need to return to my first love? And friends, I want to pray to that end that you would actually do that. And then actually ask God, how can I do that? What are the rhythms, what are the next steps that I actually can take to actually return? Do I need to wake up earlier and have more time with you? Do I need to learn how to pray again? Do I need to learn how to just read the scriptures again? And not just study them, but pray them. Do I need to actually learn to apply the scriptures again to my life? And not just glean theological information that will never actually be applied in my life. Friends, these are the questions we need to ask this morning. And let me pray for us that that would actually happen. Father, I thank you that this morning there is so much hope. And none of us should actually leave discouraged this morning. That we should actually be encouraged that there has been the grace and kindness of your word. And that your spirit gave us this message for such a time as this so that we could wake up. Wake up our sleeping hearts. Awake from our spiritual slumbers and return to our first love. God, would you help us? Would you give us such clarity? You are God of clarity, not confusion. You are God of peace. Who says the first thing to us is grace and peace. And would that grace and peace be the means and the foundation for which we can actually take the conviction? And in that conviction, have a godly sorrow that leads us to repentance. We thank you that that is based on your kindness. It always leads us to return as the good Father and the Lord that you are. And I pray that, God, that would be true of City Life Bennington. Every saint in this room, every soul in this room would turn back to the only one who can satisfy. God, give us the right heart desires again. Take us back to those simple places where we used to love you and do the things we once did with you because of that love. God, I pray for a revival in this church. God, God I pray that you would awaken us and, and, and enliven us again. That we wouldn't just chalk things up to needing a vacation or a break. But we'd actually learn to rest daily in you. To 
drink deeply from you, to eat the bread of life that is always ready and available to us. And God, I just pray for a fresh filling of City Light Bennington spirit. And God, you would get more glory from it and that you, we would get the good. And we pray this in Jesus' name.